Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out and loudly proclaiming, whoa, what a ride. I thought about that quote from Hunter S. Thompson quite a lot when preparing for this season of Chronicle. The beauty of this show is that I get to pick a subgenre in European horror cinema and plan out a season that I think best represents the high points and those mysterious little cul-de-sacs that you, the viewer, may never have traversed. And stumbling into 2020, at a time when the world really does seem like a dark and dangerous place, when at times going into an unfamiliar environment can draw ire or scorn, whether it's online or in real life. I thought folk horror best represented where we are in this decade. It's weird to contemplate that, considering its heyday is about 55 years ago, where an influx of British horror films really set the standard for a genre which had been tried and tested in the decades before in other countries in Europe. What makes it even more fun is that idea that you, the self-righteous person with your ideas and beliefs, will stumble into an area or a place or a group of people where your ideas and values are not shared and in your self-righteousness you feel that you can impose them and the backlash can be fatal. It's a subgenre that has always had an icky part of my psyche. I mean, what's more terrifying than the slow, inevitable realisation that you're not the master of your domain? That you cannot influence anyone around you and ultimately your chance for escape was several hours ago. Ultimately, it is our arrogance and hubris that will lead to our downfall. As Bertland Russell once said, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and the wiser people so full of doubts. In Chronicle Season 3, we will be looking at three movies per chapter, with three chapters, nine movies in total, covering the span of the 60s right up to the 2010s. These movies come in all shapes and forms, some of which are ghost stories, some of which lean into paganistic rituals and others deal with the occult. But at their centre, every character in these movies has a point, a point in time, where their own hubris will keep them where they are. Their own stubbornness will not allow them to see the full picture of the danger that is about to envelop them. Folk horror at times embodies the very virtues of arrogance, but also the very backbone of naivety. As Jeff Lindsay, author of the Dexter novels, would say, hope is for people who can't see the truth. Hi everyone, my name's Duncan McLeish, and you're listening to Season 3 of Chronicle Podcast. An almanac of old world horrors. Ignition. T minus ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, 
Welcome to Season 3 of Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. This is episode number one of the season. This is your starting point for the next nine episodes. What we do in Chronicle is we pick a subgenre or a category within European horror cinema and then we span out a selection of movies that we recommend that you watch in order. That way you can see the progression of that subgenre or that category to its fruition. This particular season we have chosen British folk horror as our subgenre and we have a phenomenal list of nine movies. Now some of these movies you will know. You may have seen before, you might know off by heart. Some of the movies on the list you may have heard of but never seen. And there might be one or two titles on here that you have no clue about at all and that's where the excitement always comes in for me. It's that ability to pick movies within our categories and put them to the forefront and dedicate 20 minutes, half an hour to a discussion not only about the movies themselves but the themes that they might be trying to portray and at the same time any trivia in the background. A lot of movies have troubled pasts The people that are involved with them may have troubled lives and Chronicle gives us an opportunity to talk about the journey of these movies and where they stand in history today. Now it's worth saying at the start just now that Chronicle used to be a member of the Legion Podcast Network and we put out two seasons there so chances are if you're still following our Facebook group page facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash chronicle then you are fully aware of that history but if you aren't then let me just bring you up to speed with two seasons already passed we have covered vampires in our first season and witches in our second each season consisted of six episodes so that's 12 movie reviews they have since been ported over to the Teapots Collective, which you are listening to right now, the official feed of that network. So, if you want to play catch up while you're waiting for the next episode to drop, then you can jump back and check out Season 1 and Season 2 exclusively on that feed. Moving forward, all episodes of Chronicle will be on the Teapots Collective. You should also check out the other shows on The Collective. It's worthwhile doing this plug at the start because we have some really interesting content to get to. On this feed that you're listening to just now, this show will also be joined by Opera Omnia which looks at bodies of work by directors and also doing The Nasty Podcast which is a video nasty podcast. Now there is the entire first season covering the tier 1 and tier 2 movies, all 72 available for you to listen to right now. And next week, one week today, on Friday, we will be dropping the first episode of our second season, which is looking at the 82 films that made the tier 3 list. And that rims out our Teapots Collective feed. 
Okay, okay, let's get into this. Folk horror is at the heart of season one. And to cover that, I thought we'd start off light. I thought we'd start off with something that has the themes of folk horror, but in the guise of something more ghostly. Are you all ready for a ghost story? As we discuss 1968's Whistle and I'll Come to You. You're listening to Chronicle Podcast. Stick around. He's best known for his ghost stories, all of which have a peculiar atmosphere of cranky scholarship. The darkest of them is called Whistle and I'll Come to You. It's a story of solitude and terror, and it has a moral too. It hints at the dangers of intellectual pride and shows how a man's reason can be overthrown when he fails to acknowledge those forces inside himself which he simply cannot understand. The speech served to remind Parkins of his little discovery of that afternoon. It was with some considerable curiosity that he turned it over by the light of his candles. It was of bronze he now saw and was shaped very much after the manner of a modern dog whistle. In fact it was, yes, certainly it was, actually no more nor less than a whistle. He put it to his lips but it was quite full of a fine caked up sand or earth which would not yield to knocking but must be loosened with a knife. Tidy as ever in his habits, Parkins cleared out the earth onto a piece of paper and then took the latter to the window to empty it out. The night was clear and bright, as he saw when he had opened the casement, and he stopped for an instant to look at the sea and note the belated wanderer stationed on the shore in front of the inn. Then he shut the window, a little surprised at the late hours people kept at Burnstow, and took the whistle to the light again. Why, surely there were marks on it, and not merely marks, but letters. A very little rubbing rendered the deeply cut incisions quite legible, but the professor had to confess, after some earnest thought, that the meaning of it was as obscure to him as the writings on the wall to Belshazzar. There were legends both on the front and the back of the whistle. The one read thus, Fla for bis flee. The other, quest es isti que venit. I ought to be able to make this out, he thought, but I suppose I am a little rusty in my Latin. When I come to think of it, I don't believe I even know the word for whistle. The long one does seem simple enough. It ought to mean, who is this who is coming? Well, the best way to find out is evidently to whistle for him. Let's see. 
He blew tentatively and stopped suddenly, startled and yet pleased by the note he had elicited. It had a quality of infinite distance in it, and, soft as it was, he somehow felt it must be audible for miles around. It was a sound, too, that seemed to have the power, which many scents possess, of forming pictures in the brain. He saw quite clearly, for a moment, a vision of a wide, dark expanse at night, with a fresh wind blowing, and in the midst a lonely figure how employed. He could not tell. Perhaps he would have seen more, had not the picture been broken by a sudden surge of a gust of wind against his casement, so sudden that it made him look up, just in time to see the white glint of a seabird's wing somewhere outside the dark panes. The sound of the whistle had so fascinated him that he could not help trying it once more, this time more boldly. The note was little, if at all louder than before, and repetition broke the illusion. No picture followed, as he'd half hoped it might. But what is this? Goodness! What force the wind can up in a few minutes! What a tremendous gust! There! I knew the window fastening was no use. Ah, I thought so. Both candles out. It's enough to tear the room to pieces. Whistle and I'll Come For You was part of a documentary series shown on the BBC back in 1968. But it is not a documentary, rather a ghost story based on Montague Rhodes James's ghost story of a similar name, which is Whistle and I'll Come to You, my lad, written by Robert Burns. It's one of the reasons that I delayed this season off. Tomorrow is Burns Night in Scotland where we celebrate Robert Burns, our national poet. And what better way to celebrate our national poet than to talk about the effects, the influences the great man had on other literary works. M.R. James wrote a ton of ghost stories and was admired by many, many of his peers. H.P. Lovecraft would say that he was an admirer of his work. And he was the forefather of a weird tradition in the UK where his collections of ghost stories would be read aloud on Christmas Eve. The story itself involves Professor Parkin, who is the very embodiment of a academic at Cambridge. A man who is very well-spoken, keeps himself to himself and has his very confined view of how the world works. He travels off to stay in a hotel on the English coast. One of his colleagues tells him that there may be an opportunity for him to visit some ruins nearby which are believed to be ruins occupied once by Templar knights. However, Parkin doesn't seem that interested with that idea and rather spends his first few days walking up and down the local beach. One day he comes across a graveyard, a graveyard which is no longer kept by the locals. When he's there, beside a grave, he sees something protruding from the ground, takes it, keeps it and walks back along the shoreline 
back to his hotel. As he's doing it though, he starts to see what looks like the silhouette of a figure in the distance. Creepily enough, this figure appears to not only be watching him, but following him. That night, Parkins observes the object as being a whistle, which when cleaned, reveals an engraving. The engraving asks, who is this who is coming? And he blows the whistle, jokingly, to find out. As an academic, Parkin doesn't believe in any superstition. In a conversation with a retired colonel the following day, he dismisses any conversation or notion in the belief of spirits, ghosts or anything from the afterlife. You ask me, do I believe in, say, Australia? Well, now I know perfectly well what sort of thing I'm being asked to judge. I mean, we all agree what we mean by Australia. <laughs> Large continent, southern hemisphere, discovered by Captain Cook. Four or five large cities, kangaroos, and so on and so on. And given that, given that, one can perfectly well imagine the sort of procedure that one might put in hand to confirm, or on the other hand, to disconfirm its existence. It's not quite the same thing with ghosts, you see? I mean, there's no broad consensus about what a ghost is, is there? You've got me a bit of a time on that one. Let's think that. Ghosts. Uh, the spirits of the dead. Uh, the, the survival of the human personality. Ah, ah, survival of the human personality. Hmm. Well, now, <coughs> that's a different question again, really. And uh, it has the grammatical appearance of a real question, but I wonder. Does it really, does it really mean anything either? Or True. True. But there are more things in heaven and earth than in your philosophy. No, no. I prefer to put it a different way. There are more things in philosophy than are dreamt of in heaven and earth. <laughs> but is this conversation playing on his mind? He has a dream that night that he's being pursued by the very shadowy figure that he saw after finding the whistle along a beach. All this becomes too much for Parkin, whose nerves are now completely shot. In the morning when he wakes up, he notices that the bed beside him appears to be slept in and speaks to the maid to advise that only he slept in one bed, no one slept in the other he starts to turn to his comfort blanket. Books, books will have the answer to the very situation he is in, but the books yield no answers. That night, he's awakened by the sounds of sheets moving, and in the most iconic scene of the movie, and arguably one of the most iconic scenes in horror history, as he sits up, the sheets on the bed across the room, rise up in the shape of a man. Parkins reels in terror in a fetal position, almost emulating what a small child would do. Moaning out and crying for help, the colonel comes to his aid. Parkins sits stunned at what he has seen and completely embodied with terror. 
The strength in the 40-minute adaptation the BBC put out in 1968 is its casting. Michael Horden would play the part of Professor Parkin. He himself came from a rich lineage of Shakespearean plays and thespian output and brought a sense of authenticity to the character and the performance. But what this movie has is atmosphere and it leans very much into the source material. Whistle and I'll Come to You, my lad, is not the scariest novel that you'll read. Granted, if you read it by candlelight in the twilight hours, you might start to think that noises creeping around your house are that of the undead coming to get you. But for the most part, it's its adaptation on the screen that has that lasting effect. There is nothing more terrifying than seeing a grown man act and behave the same way a frightened child would. But at its core, this movie describes a lot of what we will see time and time again this season. It's a character who is given the opportunity, who is given the warnings to get out, to not do the thing that he thinks he has a right to do without cause and effect. That's that hubris we mentioned at the start of the episode. And his comeuppance is more terrifying than he could have imagined. The idea of something enacted, called from beyond, by such a simple object like a whistle, and then concluding its journey, not to kill him, rather to appear before him in his very room and terrify the life out of him is what makes the story so understandable and at the same time so much fun. This wasn't the first adaptation of the source material. In fact, the year before they'd tried something similar, more as kind of like a university indie movie project and then would recast it and go again for the main stage of the BBC. In 2010, they remade it again with John Hurt in the main role, which is a worthy output. I would say check it out. I love John Hurt. I watch him in pretty much anything. But the 1968 holds a near and dear place in my heart. This movie was first given to me as an idea and suggestion to tick it off my list when Channel 4 in the UK did their top 100 scariest movie moments. This particular scene was mentioned, which, let's be honest, would be a huge spoiler for any movie, seeing the final shots in the clip. But it got my curiosity peaked. So many horror academics and people I consider my peers would talk about the effect that this had. I had to check it out. Luckily enough, it's on YouTube. You can check it out for free now. Although I would say, if you have the opportunity to buy that BFI copy, do that. And what it shows is that 1968 was a completely different time in TV. If you look at 2019, we had a brand new telling of A Christmas Carol. It was more horror-based, it had big-name stars, and the BBC were putting themselves back on the line. They've just adapted Dracula 
And it kind of feels like with shows like Inside Number 9, the BBC aren't scared to get their hands a little bit dirty and delve back into moments of horror. But the wittiness of the 68 version is not lost on me. There is something kind of playful about the idea of a well-to-do man who's sure fast and stead in his convictions and his beliefs of how the world works sitting in a room tooting his own whistle and the cause and effect of that being the very breakdown of everything that he believes to be true. The moral of the story is simple. The next time you're confronted with an idea that you disagree with, you're in a place that you're unfamiliar with in a conversation with someone you've just met and they see something that makes your eyes roll. Something so monumentally stupid that you feel that you need to correct them. Take a deep breath, steady yourself, put your fingers in your mouth and whistle and I'll come to you, my lad. I have a fellow again. And that's been episode number one of season three of Chronicle, an almanac of old world horrors. I hope you enjoyed that brief look at Whistle and I'll Come To You. It's available on YouTube in its entirety, so go across, check out. It's a wonderful old slab, a kind of gothic folk horror goodness. And it's where we begin our journey. It's a great starting point to see where things go because in a couple of years time from that movie everything's set amongst the coastlines of islands up and down the UK are set in forgotten times where paganism and the occult was rife. Which brings me to the titles we'll be covering on this season of Chronicle. We're obviously still in chapter one and we've just covered Whistle and I'll come to you from 1968. We're staying in 1968 for our next movie, which has one of my favourite performances by the late, great Vincent Price, who's known for being playful, witty and kind of delectable in his performances of evil on the screen. But this one has the great man performing in a role which is kind of stomach-turning and devilishly dark. We will be looking at 1968's Witchfinder General. Closing out chapter one, we are going to look at Cry of the Banshee, a lesser known output for the folk horror genre. You may have seen it before, you may not have. I would recommend 
that you hunt this one out. It closes out chapter one and starts us on a journey in chapter two to when this subgenre becomes huge. In chapter two, we will be looking at Blood on Satan's Claw, the icon of the genre from 1971. But don't let that put you off because following up closely behind it, The Wicker Man from 1973 and any movie that you may have never heard of before, I kind of hope you haven't, from 1976, we'll be looking at something with a completely different pace but a very similar central message when we tackle Requiem for a Village. The final chapter is the resurgence of the genre in the very early 2010s. We will be starting by looking at Kill List from 2011 by the great Ben Wheatley. Check out the conversations we're having over on Opera Omnia as we look at every single movie in the Ben Wheatley catalogue. We will be closely following that up with the final two movies in Chapter 3 and the final two movies in the third season of Chronicle, with The Borderlands from 2015 found footage with a folk horror twist, and concluding with another Wheatley classic, A Field in England from 2013. The first chapter of Chronicle podcast will appear in your feed every two weeks. So two weeks from now, on Friday, you will get the next instalment, and then two weeks after that, you will get the concluding instalment of this chapter. We will then take one Friday off and return with the next three entries. Then another week off, then return with the final three entries in this season. Chronicle Podcast will deliver three seasons for you in 2020, covering a huge gulf of stuff that we have been holding back on and I have been desperate to chat about in this format. We are a proud member of the Tea Putts Collective joined by other fantastic shows that I host. Yes, I'm biased. Yes, I can say that. And no, I don't feel guilty. You can check out Opera Omnia where I'm joined by the phenomenal Mr. Watson to discuss the movies of Ben Wheatley or check out Doing the Nasty podcast which drops its first episode of its brand new season a week today. I'll be joined by Mark Ball for that episode and we'll be looking at Invasion of the Blood Farmers from 1972 and the last horror film from 1982. If you want to keep the conversation going, you want to discuss more about folk horror, then you can jump across and check us out on our Facebook group page. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash chronicle podcast and for those that are interested in trying something different check us out on the flick chat app the podcast under the stairs is the main feed over there so you can join our group page by typing in the join code t putts cast and there is a message thread for chronicle lastly let me say that chronicle podcast is written and recorded by me for you Join me in two weeks' time when we look at Vincent Price as Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. But until the next time, I know of witches who whistle at different pitches, calling things that don't have names. This is Duncan McLeish from Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors.
Ignition. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. 